If you've got a seat at the table, it's going to be fun to watch dinner be served. If you're starving looking through the window, it's going to be super uncomfortable. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Welcome into the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. As a little background, Josh and myself, Dan, are career firefighter paramedics and good friends. We find Bitcoin beyond fascinating, and we believe it could have significant, important, and paradigm-shifting impacts for decades to come. Our goal here is to learn, explain, and discuss the implications behind this amazing network and protocol. This particular episode centers around Bitcoin halving cycles, bull markets, and price run-ups. More specifically, when and why they happen and how to approach them. Enjoy. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. In terms of topic today, the thought is we're going to focus on the Bitcoin halving cycles and the price of Bitcoin. That's my favorite, favorite. A little bit of a cheap topic, kind of a hook topic. I mean, we, we have an audience of zero, so we got to get some fish in the tank. Why not talk about the parabolic price move we're looking at? Yeah, the NGU technology. We love that. <laughs> love the end number go up. It's built into the protocol. Satoshi buried it within the code. The NGU technology. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, dude, by the way, freak out mode here, price of Bitcoin down to 55K. 55? Are you serious? It was at 57 earlier. What do we, <laughs> I need to I need to get I need to sell some right now. I'm putting in my sell orders. I think a lot of people that have been invested been invested in this space for a long time are going to identify. One area that I'm sincerely proud of myself is as the years go on, I just grow so much less interested in price. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not checking the price consistently, but in terms of actually having like emotional reactions and panic, once you've ridden that bull all the way up and ridden that bear all the way down, as you and I both have, this, this whole cycle just feels completely differently to me. I I agree. I think it takes one whole cycle for anybody. Once you've once you took that first dive into this thing and you ride her up and then you ride that wild thing back down and you kind of and at the bottom, actually, I've never been more comfortable than when it was just bottoming out in a bear market because I just kind of gave up and I was like, oh, I know I don't have to check the price in the middle of the night because it's only going to get better from here kind of thing. You surrender and, to uh, the Kraken. Yeah, it's kind of a Zen thing. And I'm actually more stressed uh, in the last six months watching this thing go up parabolically. I'm more, I'm more stressed about it for some strange reason, even though it's great. It's almost like you have, and this is going to come across, I don't mean this to offend anyone that's new to the space, but when you're grizzled uh, 2017 bull veterans like uh, Josh and I, it's, al- it's almost like- 17. <laughs> It's almost like when the next cycle starts, which this this is my second, 
it's almost like you have some new guests in your home, like a party has just started in your house and some new people are milling around your living room and kitchen that you're not familiar with. You don't dislike them. They're just new characters and you're a little bit suspicious and slightly aggravated that you're not, you know, alone watching Netflix. Yeah, it's almost like they're playing with your dog, you know. There's they're, just yeah. who are these people? They're just playing with, you know, they're in my house. They're playing with my stuff. They're 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 grabbing something out of my fridge, grabbing my beer. That's kind of what I feel like when I see these new people walking into this like kind of apprehensive, kind of scared, not knowing what to expect. But we 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 want to take you by the hand, guide you in here and get you comfortable, you know? Yep. Two uh firefighter paramedics with no professional financial experience, no degrees in economics. Um just playing the part of resident expert here in the uh, Bitcoin world. Untainted minds. Yeah, we do need this influx, though. I mean, it's super exciting. Now that we've talked shit about everybody onboarding, just as people talk shit about us who were involved in the cycle before, it's incredibly exciting. I mean, what's happening in this cycle is is pretty wild. Watching the institutional buy-in on this has been spectacular. It's just nuts to see you know guys like Michael Saylor literally mortgage everything he's got in order to buy more Bitcoin. It's absolutely crazy to see people of that caliber levering up like degenerate retailers in 2017. You know, I'm it's pretty exciting. I'm about to steal uh, a quote from you, so I apologize in advance. But Michael Saylor is harpooning himself some kraken. Yes, he is. <laughs> he's, that, that he's on a harpoon. whaling boat right now. And he's just he's he's spotted Moby Dick. <laughs> he's impaling he's, his monster he's, he's from the He's gonna get deep. himself a Moby Dick. <laughs> he's gonna hit him. How how many leagues? Why don't you answer this question? I think you'll be better suited for it. Like what what cycles have happened before? If we have somebody that's new to the Bitcoin space, by the way, we don't call it the crypto space. We call it the Bitcoin space. Uh, spoiler alert: We're Bitcoin maximalists to the core. So we just lost a, a ton of our listenership right then and there but sell the ethereum just sell it it's at an all-time high you're you're lucky to get out alive uh as far as these cycles go there's primary there's three primary ones and there's one smaller one but we'll just kind of ignore that i'm sorry uh this is the fourth yeah so in 2011 we watched this thing the kraken rise from one dollar to thirty dollars an insane 30x rise in uh, a single year crazy and so since 2012 which we'll get into this in a minute, but I'm just going to quickly cover it. There's a halving every four years, which means that Bitcoin's supply is cut in half. Uh, the amount that's available every 10 minutes is halved. So less is going onto the market. So that's kind of the the reasoning for these price launches that it kind of has every four years. So in 2012, after the halving, I'm sorry, 2000, the halving was in 2012. In 13, it went from $250 to $1,100. Another halving in 2016 causing it to go from around 2,000 uh, in 2017 to 20,000 at its parabolic peak. Then another bear market for uh, 18 and 19. And then in 2020, we saw the next halving in May 2020. And we have gone from the last all-time high of 20 grand. We blew past that. Now, you know, we've seen as high as 64 back at 55. But the question mark, we have no idea where this thing's going to go. I mean, we we can speculate and we like to do that, but, um, uh, plan B 288, $288,000. And she'll probably, she'll probably surpass that. There, there are some 
crazy predictions. And he, here's what makes them crazy in my mind. They're issued by very smart, thoughtful people. So there's a difference between wahoos on YouTube touting these parabolic moves and projections with absolutely no understanding of fundamentals. You can identify those people very quickly. Open mouth, giant alert every five minutes. Yes. Ignore those people. Ignore them. And I mean, so back to plan B. So plan B is a, he's Dutch, right? Yeah, he's a Dutch quant. He works for a mysterious bank. Yeah, he's an institutional investor. He's got an institutional background. He put together a, I would call it renowned at this point, piece of data analytics. And so the, the without going too far down the rabbit trail, uh, rabbit trail of plan B. Troll. <laughs> this is a really smart guy with a ton of profound financial experience putting together high-level models of this thing. So that doesn't mean he's right. Obviously not. It just it makes you think twice when people throw out these numbers. And I mean, I mean, there's 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 projections far crazier than that. But by the way, to go back, we're talking two hundred eighty-eight thousand by the end of twenty twenty-one is his prediction. And I believe Josh, correct me if I'm wrong. He's not saying that's the peak. He's saying that's where we level off to. So he sees a yeah, peak above two eighty-eight. Other projections I think of, like American Hodl, crazy crazy motherfucker. But smart, I mean, has a lot of intelligent, wise things to say, understands and studies what's happening beneath the surface. I, I heard him on Peter McCormick's podcast, What Bitcoin Did, great podcast, by the way, saying he thinks this thing may scare a million this year. I mean, crazy, crazy numbers being thrown out. Oh, the Winklevi, um, they didn't give the this a, a time frame. The Winklevi are predicting, you know, of Facebook fame, the guys who took down the Zuck. <laughs> The uh, Winklevoss. Never heard that. <laughs> they uh, they are calling five hundred thousand, but they're too they're too uh, scared to put a date on it. But uh, they're just basically calling it to have parity with gold sometime in this uh, decade, which I think is an easy call. But uh, the Winklevoss are willing to throw that one out there. What makes this tough is that most individuals enter this space in the throes of a bull market. So what we're saying is, and we'll get into more how these bull markets are structured and bear markets and level offs, but the public awareness of what's happening in this space increases dramatically when the price is going through the roof. So what it's like trying to mount a bull when it's pissed. I mean, it really is. It's, it's incredibly hard to figure out how to get on it, when to get off it, that sort of thing. The thing about, the thing about these these the guys who jump into this thing and I you know I was one of them in 2017 you you don't ever no one ever jumps into this thing with pure conviction besides Dan Dan jumped into this thing with pure <laughs> conviction <laughs> I've never seen anyone do it the way you did but it's incredibly important because when you just bought let's say you just dropped 10 grand into this thing and that's probably a substantial amount of money for you you watch it go down 20% in 2 days um, most people without massive conviction and understanding into the space that they're investing in are just going to panic sell out of it. And they're just going to watch that thing rocket back up to where it was. And then they're going to be pissed. They're going to rebuy back in and they're going to repeat this process until they've lost a substantial amount of their starting money. So you've got to have the conviction. You've got to do your research. You've got to know what it is you're getting yourself into here. And you just got to either that or you just got to not look. Just put it in. Not Don't look. Don't look for five years. And you'll be very pleasantly surprised, I think. Yeah. I think, so there's two 
tripwires when you're entering in the middle of a bull cycle. The first tripwire is volatility, right? If you're not convicted, if you don't understand what's happening here, if you, if you don't have the conviction, as you said, even during a bull cycle, when these things are going parabolic, they are, it is, it is up and it is down. And I think a lot of people are misinformed thinking Bitcoin just goes up in bull cycles. It does not. I mean, this bull cycle started in, you know, 2020, we're in the beginning of 2021, just entered quarter one, and we've already seen three, 30% or more corrections. I mean, so we've gone up dramatically, but you, there are people that have bought and lost 30% of their investment even during a bull cycle, and it takes self-control to hold on. In 2017, I think there were there were nine 30 plus correction uh, points. I mean, one of them was I think 48 percent correction at one point before it rebounded, and I think that was when the Chinese FUD came out in September 2017. It went down 48 percent in a matter of like two days. Yeah, it so, takes I mean, conviction. That's a to stay. It's a belly buster. The the uh, the second tripwire, Josh, is this: is that when you're not familiar with the repetition of these cycles. And the, and the scarcity shock through having, as you've already highlighted. You, you think that this is just a tulip mania, totally bullshit parabolic balloon. And so it's only when you learn that this has happened now for a fourth time that you start to scratch your head and wonder, wait, what's actually going on here? Because as you and I would both agree, assets get way overinflated and crash for good all the time. Do they Absolutely. do this four times in one decade? I've um, never seen it. I've never I've never seen it or heard of it and I think you have to you have to explain why it's happening over and over again if you think it's tulip mania. I've heard many I haven't heard of the tulip mania comparison in this run. I heard, we heard it a lot in 2017, but I think even the critics who want to throw that at it have realized like we've already worn that narrative out and to call it tulips for the fourth time in a row is asinine like there's something to this. You know, there's something Warren and Charlie Munger are missing here. And um washed it's, up. It's definitely not I hate tulips, to say it. you know. Yeah, it's sad to watch guys like them. I they've definitely been people that I've admired in the investing space and the, and Me Charlie too. specifically Me too. just for his his entire outlook on how you should never emotionally charge yourself before passing some kind of an idea on something or, you know, some um judging something with emotionally. And that's exactly what they're doing with this. They've called it rat poison squared. They've said, you know, completely irrational, emotional reactions to it. And I think you can see that it's probably something that is very, very bad for the kinds of things they're investing in, specifically the banks they're in. So they, um, yeah, this is Bitcoin threatens their entire investment thesis. Very much so. But the weird thing about Munger and Buffett is they are, open-minded thinkers that rely on fundamentals. And so I'm not surprised that some of their offspring, if you will, people that were in their camp, like a Preston Pish, who was a value investor that loved Buffett and Munger, I'm not surprised he's a Bitcoiner. It's almost like they're close, but so far away. And here's what I'm like, Buffett and Munger are very old, okay? And so I think they lack the ability to comprehend the implications of the digital information age is is sort of my thesis here. I mean, it's kind of yeah. like a it's kind of like a, a an eighty seven year old farmer who wasn't ready for the industrial revolution. Like, can he really even envision what the end 
of that age is going to look like and what the ushering in of you know it yeah, just he's it's, looking it's for hard. a saddle you saddle the horse i it's not i don't think it's entirely that either i well they've i've heard buffett tee off on how much he hates gold in the past and gold is i mean this is basically the same idea as gold it's just digital in a in a way i mean there's a lot more to it than that but on a very simplified level you could just say this is digital gold he understands gold he said it's just a rock you know it doesn't have any real value other than you know it's industrial use and that's the way he looks at it you know he's just very he, he wants to measure companies performance and output that's that's his game yeah i i will get off this topic here but my last comment is i wish they could read a book like say the price of tomorrow by jeff booth i mean that that book is a really succinct explanation of how paradigm shifting the next 10 to 20 years could be that that book really influenced me i'm plugging it recommending it i wish I they could really dig into it. the implications of a of a changing world order into the digital infrastructure yeah i just don't think they're going to man i think that they they are so set in their ways you know and that's just the way people get especially after they're about 40 to 50 years old i think it's the neuroplasticity it just doesn't allow it you know you've yeah. got your outlook and it kind of just sticks and uh that's it so we're in the so we're in the middle of a bull cycle, and we're we've just we've just whipped it out and said, hey, we could go places, right? We could go way north of a hundred k this year. There's the hook. I hope you're a fish and you just got, and we're gonna reel you in now. Let's talk about how it's gonna do that. Yeah. What? So I think there's probably people in the audience thinking, okay, that's cool. You guys are just touting numbers. And this is a dangerous topic for us to get into because we could spend four days talking about this. But I think we need to brush quickly over why this thing has value and just a, a, a few of the undercurrents that are driving this stream. Yeah, let's get down to it. Let's figure out how it got here. I think so. I think with this thing, when it first started, it was worth nothing. It was just computer code Satoshi played around with. He set He set off, you know. He had a whole bunch of other implementations to look at and, and figure out how he's going to make this thing work. And the real problem that he solved is just digital scarcity. He could create a computer file that couldn't be copied endlessly like every other thing. Key. Yep. And so, so nerds, you know, the guys like, I'll just throw a couple of names out there, Hal Finney and Adam Back. These two guys had been working on this technology, thinking about it, you know, just this was their lives for probably 20 to 30 years before Satoshi came up with Bitcoin. And... These are the kind of guys that when they heard about this kind of an idea, they were immediately on board. They wanted to help. They're contributing and they're collecting these things. They're the first miners. They're the first guys on board. So this is kind of like if you want to compare to collectibles at that point, pretty much valueless, but understanding these guys were very intelligent dudes. They knew that if this actually caught on, this would be very valuable in the future. Hal Finney actually said, and this was in 2009, that if this thing works, each Bitcoin could eventually be worth $10 million or have a market cap of $100 trillion. He said that in 2009. Think about that. That statement is on a forum with a bunch of obscure internet nerds. I mean, it's pretty crazy to pull these, these what are now ancient Bitcoin quotes. They're prophetic. Crazy. And I'm sure there are a thousand others that were just nonsense and no one ever talks about because they were. But yeah, Hell Finney was on point. So basically, we're talking about these were digital baseball cards or little pieces of art um, that people collected kind of like beads and shells from antiquity. The, 
the kind of thing that people just collected because they were pretty. In this case, it was just because it was a novel idea. And so that went on for about a year. I think it was a whole year before it actually had an exchange rate or any actual value. And so someone, I don't remember anyone's names in that, uh, created an exchange and people started swapping these online and they got to about a cent. They were worth about a cent a piece. And then like any good, you know, commodity that exists, there's going to be people that are going to start trading it because they're degenerate speculators and they want to trade and they see the kind of thing that has massive price swings. That's just chumming the waters for sharks. Yep. These guys jumped in and they've been playing this trade for probably 10 years straight now, making and losing tons and tons of money. We do not recommend anyone do this because usually I'd say, what do you think, Dan? 95 to 99% of people lose their ass trying to speculate on this kind of stuff. Do not trade Bitcoin. I mean, the, 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 there are so few people that succeed trading Bitcoin. I mean, I remember uh, Robert Breedlove on, I forget where, I think he was talking to Preston Pish, saying, you know, he had a, a firm. He had a professional crypto firm making all these trades, looking at all the, the TA and oh, all the metrics. And he said he couldn't, over a, a long time horizon, you know, multiple years, there's, he could not outcompete just buy and hold Bitcoin. Point is, summary is, buy and hold Bitcoin. Do not try to trade this thing. Totally agree. Couldn't agree more. We're Dan and I are probably outperforming 50% of the hedge funds in the world, if not more, just sitting on Bitcoin. And this is, yeah, it's a bold, bold statement to make by two firefighters, but I... <laughs> I, I think we have the rationale and the logic to believe that will continue for the next 10 years. I, I think this asset is powerful, powerful enough to outcompete everything else on planet Earth. Yeah, and I guess so you don't even have to pay those guys their uh, you know 20 basis point fee, or in that case, a hedge fund's probably a huge portion of the uh, gains plus like 500 basis points or some crazy amount they charge for those things. They all own this Nuts. asset anyways. I mean, they can't get the... They do. The, I'm, I guarantee you that the vast majority of the actual managers themselves have had this in their por personal portfolio for a long time. And then even, even on their, you know, even within their portfolios. Like Mike Novogratz has been in this since 2013, I think. Um, dude, some of these guys have been in deep, deep in this for a long time. The book Digital Gold comes to mind. Read that book. It's amazing. Right now, sitting here, I can think of my the three the first three names that come to mind that I went to college with that all work in finance they all own Bitcoin in their personal portfolio. Smart. smart yeah, I mean guys. it's I think it's especially for millennial financial professionals I think it's nearing ubiquitous that people have some kind of position in this space. Some exposure for sure. I think what, like we've talked about previously, one to ten percent is extremely rational. More than that, I mean, you're taking risk, obviously, but the upside can, you know, protect the rest of your portfolio in, in, in some situations to a massive degree. So after these speculators, after they've gotten their beaks wet into this thing, what we're talking about next that kind of moves the ball around as far as the amount of money that's working its way into the system is network effects. Network effects, uh, the easy way to think about this is Google, Facebook, Twitter, any kind of social network or... Uh, any of, the, any of the tech companies in the last 20 years, these guys are all leveraging network effects. And network effects increase in value exponentially with increased users. So it's, it's, a, uh, it's a function of value based on how many users you have. And Bitcoin, the last estimate I heard is about 100 million users. I think that's on the low side. This thing 
breaching a hundred billion, as, as Jeff Booth said in his uh, Price of Tomorrow book, it, when a network uh, on a computer system like Bitcoin reaches the critical mass of one hundred billion dollars in value, it's generally the one that has the staying power, the one that is unstoppable in the long term. There's no one that's going to catch it. I love the way he explores that idea, and he, he plays that out for Google, Facebook, Twitter. You know, all those. You know, he he walks through that being in his mind, at least based on you know historical precedent, kind of the tipping point that that exactly. hundred billion, which we've obviously just decimated. And think about it like this too: just the simplicity of the phone system from a hundred years ago. If there were only, you know, I'm you know Alexander Graham Bell. I have the first phone and I connect it to my buddy, him and I, like Dan and I are talking right now, have a line to each other and that's it. You know, how useful is that? It's pretty useful for the two of us, but for the rest of the world, it's completely useless. But now you add two of his buddies and two of my buddies to that system. And, you know, you add that up and eventually you say you have a hundred people that are interconnected with those phone lines. Now you've got a system and a network that is extremely usable. Um, and you can see how that scales up exponentially as it goes. If you've got 10,000, a million people connected to that phone system, pretty soon anybody can talk to anybody and it's an extremely valuable network for a multitude of reasons. That's the same idea we're talking about here when it comes to network effects. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think a, a really simplistic way to wrap this is every new participant to the network benefits every other participant. Absolutely. That's dead on. When this starts happening, it's it's a domino effect that that heads to to many different lines. I mean, one it, this idea of one participant benefits everybody else. It it does create mass level of adoption over a very short period of time. And it also has the enabling it it ossifies the entire network in, as one because no one. It's kind of like um, if we decided to start our own social network right now, we would. We wouldn't have a chance. Facebook already owns this thing. There's a billion people on Facebook. Nobody's going to join uh, Dan's new implementation of Facebook because there's nobody else there. Even if it's Who are you better, talk to. Yeah, I think that's one of the keys. Even, even if it's even, better than Facebook, I'm going nowhere because I don't have exactly any network infiltration. And I, from my understanding, the the only thing that's going to move that needle is if your implementation of this thing is literally ten times better, exponentially better. Because then people might be like, oh, well, maybe this is, you know, this is so much better that it's game changing. It changes my life. Maybe I'll take do the work to get myself over there. But beyond or less than that, and people just aren't going to bother. They're not going to be bothered with all of the the time and and the effort to deal with it. They don't care. They're just going to use what they what they use. That 10x advantage you just highlighted is perfectly on display here with Bitcoin. I mean, this this technology, this monetary technology is so head and shoulders above the rest of the competition. It's a complete mindfuck. I mean, when you start getting orange-pilled and thinking this thing through, the degree to which it's superior is money versus what we have currently, it blows your mind. Absolutely. And people would say that it's slow or, you know, there's only 2,500 transactions every 10 minutes. And those two things are true, but you'd be missing the entire ball. There's... There's networks being built on networks here that are all working together that are going to make this thing that are already making it better than everything else that exists. And um, we'll, we're going to dive into all of that. I'm not going to bring up all the lightning network and you know, the sidechain stuff right now, but this thing completely decimates every other option out there. 
And uh, the, the problem is, is that most people just haven't really done the study to understand it yet. And that's what we're trying to do here. We want to get you on the ball and get you on to the future of money ahead of the ahead of the 95 percent of the world, probably mm -hmm. at least that isn't even bought this yet. I mean, we're in the early, early innings in this thing still, even though the price seems insanely high. It's going to go much higher much higher that price is so incredibly relative quick story from my own experience proselytizing and sharing the gospel of bitcoin amen in the last bull run i get excited i invest i start doing tons of research like a lot of people that that go down the rabbit hole i tell my brother you need to buy some bitcoin and you need to do it now and he he's like, all right, whatever you say, you know, he dives in, he invests and he, his purchase price, I think was around 19, between 19 and 20,000. This is in 2000. This would have been in early 2018. Man, he was, he was thinking you were dumb for a long time. Yeah. I mean, he, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he motherfucked me to high heaven. I mean, he didn't actually. He literally did. He's, <laughs> is he the pastor? <laughs> <laughs> no, he was he was ticked off. I mean, not not. I mean, he was just like, "What's going on? What was this recommendation?" And he thought he bought at the absolute peak, terrible entry point. Right? He rides this thing all the way down. He held because I forced him to. I mean, how smart does he look now? At nineteen thousand, genius. I mean, if I could buy at nineteen thousand, I'd I would literally sell my house right now. Yeah, it's all as these monetary assets are gaining exposure and adoption. It's the the. The idea of expensive and cheap is a completely moving target. What you thought was expensive four months ago is now wicked cheap, and so that that's what's hard is nobody thinks they're nobody thinks they're buying Bitcoin cheap, or very few people do. I've never ever bought it and been like, man, I just got a killer oh, deal. Great price. I've always yeah. felt like I got ripped off. Always, I'm always like, man. And then six months later, I always wish I would have put a little bit more in at that time. You know, for sure. It's just uh, it's constantly a moving target. Yeah. All right, take me from network effects. So you hit you hit us with the collectible beginnings, the speculator entry. We started talking about the beginning of network effects. If you don't mind, take me to kind of where we are today, which is early store of value sort of hodler community. The, the network effect has been established. Like, what's the value proposition of this thing right now? So I think where that kind of ends up from from there to today is after the network effects, after I think a lot of people started looking at this thing, there were a whole lot of price models out there before Plan B, and most of them um, tried to kind of wrap their heads around how this made sense. Everyone was trying to throw a model at the wall, and some of them were fairly similar, but maybe didn't quite understand how the having played into it. But these people decided, a good substantial amount of them ended up saying, you know what, I'm not going to try to play this game. I'm not a speculator. I'm not smarter than this market. I'm just going to buy it and hold it. And somebody on a on a forum misspelled hold hodl. <laughs> and so hodl has kind of been a meme that's been built into Bitcoin that is it basically is hold, but it's hodl. So you can you can use that. I'll allow that. So these guys are hodlers. Josh these is are giving his permission. From high heaven. These are the people who are just gonna sit on this asset and they're not gonna sell it. I mean, I'm sure they will at some point because they need something, they need a car, they need to buy something, or they've gotten stupid rich and they've just decided they want to buy a yacht. But these people are just sitting and holding. So now we've got this effect, this network effect compounded by people that are just sitting and holding. And you've got an asset that is extremely scarce. And you can see how 
with a diminishing supply, demand increasing, and more and more of these people that are coming online, mm-hmm. buying this thing and turning themselves into hodlers, how you get this supercharged, absolutely exponential price exploration that just goes to the stars. Yeah, you're working against complete supply and inelasticity. No, I mean, technically, I mean, there's we, we have a coin reward still, if you mine, but it's it's totally laid out in advance, completely programmatic. It's a it's a it's a degree of scarcity and predictability in a monetary technology that our species has never witnessed before. No, and just as we can't really wrap our minds around what exponential growth means, just because our minds work in a linear fashion, that's the reason that you know we're not as good at calculating large numbers as a calculator or a computer. Our minds have evolved to view the world in a very linear fashion. You know, you don't see, even though we're kind of living in an exponential age right now, if you just think about how iPhones didn't exist 15 years ago, 15 years ago, that they didn't exist. Crazy but to think now, about that. This iPhone that I have, it's ridiculously powerful, more powerful than a laptop from five years ago, easily. You see the Bill Maher rant on Bitcoin oh, this yeah. week? So yeah, here, I did. here's the best part about it. He's He spends... 11 minutes railing on Bitcoin, okay? And it's very evident from his rant that he's done two hours of research instead of 20, okay? Because or his writers. His writers, his, his writers did the research. Because this is, this is such a confusing space when you know nothing about it. It's so backwards. The way it appears, the more research you do, it actually flips on its head and looks... The perspective changes completely. So he's done the two hours instead of the 20. But here's the most ironic thing. Somebody somebody else on Twitter tweeted out a state statements he made from 2003 where he is no joke, he's not kidding in 2003, he has a cell phone and he's he's ripping and talking shit about the fact that this cell phone takes pictures. Who needs a cell phone for taking pictures? This and that. <laughs> Dead serious. And then that. he follows oh, it up. It. He follows it up by literally saying, "What's next? Playing country music out of your phone?" He actually, this is an actual thing that he says. He's not kidding either in 2003. Little does he know that that, that technology that he, he thinks is ludicrous is going to rule the world. And it's what just a fucking it, clown. It's, it's so poignant for this example because we're going to play back his statements on Bitcoin in 17 years and they're going to sound identical to his statements about stupid phones that take pictures. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet that in uh, a year or two, they're going to look that stupid. It's This is going at an exponential rate that is going to make that look completely Neanderthalic, if that's a word, in in a year or two. It's a word now. You know, yeah, he's, they, there, there's yeah, going to be a lot of head scratching when this thing, to, to get back to sinking our hook into the cheeks of fish and talking <laughs> about price. When this thing passes 100,000, a lot of people are going to be very, very confused. Yeah, I I know that that uh, I'm just gonna go back to Bill Maher real quick. I don't understand why anybody gives a musician, gives a comedian, gives them their brain to let them insert their completely backwards, fundamentally boneheaded ideas. Like these are clowns. These are people who entertain us. These are not thinkers. These are not people who they're not thought should leaders. be. Yeah. Yeah, they should not be talking politics. They shouldn't be talking ideas. They should be dancing, tap dancing, you know, singing a song. That's all you're good for. You are a clown. You you're paid to entertain. You're not paid to think. 
Don't bother. That's a Josh and it, clown. It probably rant. goes. They're probably it's probably uh, good for us too. I mean, but if you're listening to this, we're not clowns. Everybody at the fire department we work at has heard a good old fashioned Josh clown rant. You just heard your first one. <laughs> one thing I wanted to touch back. So you were saying, this is where you're talking about people hodling, which sounds dumb and it it is pretty dumb actually there's an immaturity to it but it's awesome and but below it it. there's serious substance and it there's a reason people are holding on to this and it's because it's a pristine unique technology like i think that's what a lot of people miss they're just like oh people hold this i don't know why they're holding it because there's conviction and evidence that this is a very very pristine thing to possess. And and you sort of hit on some of that by, and once again, this is an episode in itself, but talking about programmatic, decentralized network that assures absolute scarcity. It's the first time, this is the first time discovery. This is a new, new ship on the horizon for our species, and it has massive implications. And the people that are, that see that and believe that are the people that are hodling. And this is a path-dependent discovery, which means... As Dan just said very succinctly, this is a one-time feature, one-time implementation. This can't happen again because nobody could just crackpot create another one of these. Actually, everybody can, which is the point. I can make one right now on my computer with with uh, absolutely no idea what I'm doing, and I can create. You know, a clown I don't know if you coin. heard this one, Dan. Uh, there's a new crypto. There's a clown coin. There is, and there's also one called Cum Rocket. Come rocket coin went up 600% in a day. Bye. Like three weeks ago, I was laughing my ass off looking at this thing. It's spectacular, come rocket. But uh, it's a joke. Most of them are a complete joke and they should be completely ignored. Only one of these things is any real substance to it. And the rest of it is just yeah. snake oil. Absolute snake oil. Biggest areas of confusion, and it's a totally understandable area of confusion, is. In my humble opinion, we're looking at the quite possibly the most pristine asset that's ever existed. And to put it another way, this may be the realest money that exists. It is the realest money that exists. It's one of the only monies, stores of value that you can actually possess. So you're dealing with something unbelievably valuable, incredibly real, and then it's camouflaged and hidden behind some of the fakest bullshit that's ever existed in, in, in markets, and that's other shit coins, as we call them, other altcoins. But that makes it so confusing, yeah. because if you enter the space, you're like, oh, this is the crypto space, right? Cryptocurrency, Bitcoin's just one of them. But what you, what you haven't unpacked yet is right, that right. one of these things is not like the other, and it, it fundamentally completely different. Use case, value proposition, build, everything about it is different, but it's so confusing when you first get here. There's a couple of really, really good ways to identify a shitcoin right off the bat. The best one is, has it been pre-mined? Which means that the people who invented this new shitcoin, how many of them have they already mined ahead of time before they release this thing? to hold for themselves, to monetize it instantly. And when I say monetize it, I mean they're going to sell the living shit out of it to these poor bastards who don't know any better. They're going to buy Bitcoin, and they're going to laugh all the way to the bank. Yeah, their end game is Bitcoin. That's what they are doing. They are 
basically a marketing team who creates a website, puts a whole bunch of complicated looking and uh, fun narratives that convince people that this is the new Ethereum or the new Bitcoin or uh, whatever, whatever angle they're trying to play or Filecoin or something that would be better off done, you know, in a central database, which we'll get into later. But something that is an off branch of this that will sound engaging to people that really haven't had a whole lot of time put into this. They can sell it to you. You're going to watch it go parabolic while everyone dives into it. They're going to offload everything and they're going to laugh all the way to the bank. It's happened probably thousands of times now. But I did the same thing as you did, Dan. I I, I dove into XRP. I had Ethereum. I had IOTA. <laughs> IOTA. Well, I don't even know. I was such a degenerate. I had yeah, Verge. We both, we both went shit coining. There was some shit coinery that occurred. And you know what? That has to happen. I think you have to do it. You, It's kind of like going whoring before you get married. You just... You have to. You go. You know. It's, you it's also that. here's another thought. Or at least it's a like, lot of people do. It's like telling a fifteen-year-old, "Don't get hungover." Trust me, it's not any fun. There is zero percent chance yep. they're not going to end up hungover. The only possible way they're going to learn their lesson is to drink too much, and the same is true of shitcoining. Yep. And I don't, I don't fully understand why, but. It seems like everybody goes through a shitcoin phase. I think one thing we can both be proud of, though, is that we were Bitcoin forward, even in the last cycle. Like, my priority was Bitcoin, and I flirted around with other shitcoins. I mean, now I've, I know better. I've grown up. Yeah, I'd say, you know what? I could almost break this into three segments or three different distinct groups. There's the people that are, have been in this long enough to understand that Bitcoin is the one, you just buy it and hold it. There's the ones in the middle who understand Bitcoin's the one. They hold a percentage of that, but they think, I know how to trade this. I can take money from the idiots. And they go on their way and they lose most of their money probably. But, And then there's the new entrants or the people that just haven't really put in the work. And they really do believe that some of these altcoins are going to be the one. Like this, this Dogecoin. It's going to $1, and it might. It might in the short term, but I'm going to go ahead and make a wild prediction about Dogecoin. I don't think it's going to be around in the long term, and that's yeah. yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that. It's going to hurt a lot of feelings. It's going to hurt a lot of butts. Many people in these altcoin spaces don't even know what the word liquidity means. They've never heard of the word, and they're going to learn real, real quickly when they tried it when it's at 58 cents and it starts plummeting and they can't exit until it's worth four cents they literally can't the exchange won't let them yep. it's then and there that they're gonna yeah because there's no buyer on the other side it's in that moment that they're gonna realize what the word liquidity means <laughs> and it, it it's crazy how many people get in this space like there's a lot of people day trading this stuff that don't even know what capital gains tax means for instance i mean there's there's a there's a degree of naivety yeah in for new investors in any space, but in particular in the crypto space, that is hilarious, but also horrifying. Yeah, it's going to hurt a lot of people, unfortunately. But you know, that's that's just the game. That is just the game. There's one other thing I wanted to add to where we were before we started talking about shitcoining. There's no. I think we're going to talk about shitcoining in every episode. Let's just give in. We we ha- we're so tempted to go there. It just is inevitable. But I was going to say, so we're talking people hodling, people keeping it as a store of value, right? Hoarding Bitcoin. I think we would be remiss not to mention that 
we're also in an environment where the macro backdrop is just an absolute wet dream for Bitcoin. I mean, it's it, what's happening right now in the macro landscape is the ball is teed up and the fairway is wide for Bitcoin. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I would love to dive into that. So I think the, the first thing and the most obvious thing, and everyone's seeing it, but a lot of people probably don't understand exactly what it means is is this whole pandemic, this whole thing has kicked off a an amount of QE, you could, uh, you could call it QE, or just money printing, just poured into the system to try to keep this thing from deleveraging or collapsing because the, uh, people weren't buying anything, people weren't going anywhere, people weren't doing anything, people were losing their jobs. So the Fed, being the mother hen that it is, decided the best thing to do is to just give out money, helicopter money, you know, just start throwing bundles of money out of the helicopter for all of us, for all of us proles to grab and take to the bank. So this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, I think it's about $5 trillion in the last year or so. I think about $5 trillion. Yeah. And I, I actually saw a stat today on Twitter that's, uh, I forget who tweeted it out, $25 trillion wow. on a global scale since the beginning of COVID. Two five trillion. Just to keep this real simple, and this is a way. This is a this is an oversimplification of this, but what we're looking at here is just more money chasing the same amount of goods. So, our favorite analogy, going back to the a Monopoly game that Pish loves to talk about, would be you're playing a game of Monopoly, and in this game of Monopoly, there's a thousand Monopoly dollars in the in the game, and the game's going and there's a uh, there's someone sliding the banker more and more money passing it out to all the players and there's the same amount of properties on the board so those properties are naturally going to elevate in price just because there's a finite number of properties and there's a there's an increasing amount of cash chasing those properties and we're seeing that literally with the real estate right now i think real estate was up like 12 to 14% year over year which is an obscene amount of inflation for real estate you're seeing it in uh, some some commodities are rocketing more specifically like lumber and there's a there are a whole bunch of other factors here it's not just simply the the money that was dumped in but that's a huge factor that's a huge factor in all this so what we're trying to drive at here with this idea is that people are starting to realize and start coming around to the idea that bitcoin's a store of value and so as dan enumerated earlier there are a finite number of these things. There's only 21 million that will ever exist, about 18 and a half million right now. And out of that 18 million coins, Dan, you might have to check me on this. I believe there's only about 500,000 of them floating around on exchanges at the moment. That number is diminishing, diminishing very quickly. In the last six months, it was, it's gone down hundreds of thousands of coins. So we're talking about a liquidity um, trap here. There is less and less of these things existing. Not, Not enough Bitcoin. Enough. Oh, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. There's always enough. Just depends on how much money you're going to have to take the claw out of the other guy's hands. How much? <laughs> yeah, there's you're right. That's a good point. There's always enough Bitcoin for the right price. That I can't remember the name of that economic, uh, uh, not theory, but idea. Like people have always said, oil's going to run out. Oil's going to run out, but it'll never run out. I don't care if there's only one barrel of oil left. It's going to be so fucking expensive that it's never going to run out. It's always going to be there because somebody, well, maybe the yeah. uh, maybe maybe one of those giant oil sheiks will pay a trillion dollars for it just to put it on a stand as a piece of art. 
He'll say, this is oil. Yeah, those uh, those supply and demand charts from macroecon start to really set in when you understand, when you have a, a completely inelastic supply curve like we're looking at. Yeah, yeah. And so where we're going from here, I mean, Biden's talking about a $4 trillion stimulus package for a variety of things. I, I don't think that's going to be it, folks. I think there's going to be a continued amount of printing because at this point, it's a game they can't stop playing without letting all the music stop. So it's, you know, there's only so many lifeboats on the Titanic here and people are piling into them. Everyone's still kind of orderly. They're kind of eyeing those lifeboats thinking I better get the fuck on one of these things, but they're not running yet because they don't want to spook the rest of the people. And when they start running for those lifeboats, that's when we go from, this is where these outlandish numbers could come into play. I mean, when, when people start crowding into small spaces to get a, seat at this table to get a plot of land on this digital frontier that's when you see the price go parabolic and we've seen it before i mean that's the cool thing like we've seen these we've seen these charts just go through the moon in these previous cycles that's what's so fun is being able to transpose the current situation on the past it doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect indicators but they're at least helpful you know north stars for where we where we may want to orient ourselves within a cycle the thing I think that's going to be different, maybe it won't be this cycle. Maybe it'll be the next cycle. Um, it's hard to tell. But this time, I think, is going to be a little bit different. And it, like I said, it might not be this cycle. It might be the next one. But because I think people are going to start realizing that this actually is quite serious. This is really a lifeboat. This is something you want to have a spot on. And you want to have it sooner because... The longer you wait, the more you're going to scramble, the more fists you're going to get in your face. And uh, you better get seat belted in. You better have yourself a nice little spot in that lifeboat that's getting lowered into the water before this thing starts really sinking. Because when it does, it's going to make the it's going to make these past bubbles, these price rises we've seen insignificant. It's going to be spectacular. It's going to be fireworks. It's going to be crazy. To piggyback on your comment that this cycle could be different. I think there is a chance it could be. And some of what I'm going to vomit up into the microphone here comes from Dan Held. He wrote an article back in late 2020. It was titled A Bitcoin Super Cycle. He talks about how unique the ingredients are in 2020-2021. Right. So some of some of the things that make this current backdrop different than previous ones. Right. You talked about the printing press is just fully overheated. I mean, money is just spitting out of central banks. Fiscal and monetary spending are at just mind blowing levels that we didn't even think was possible. So COVID ushered that in loose fiscal and monetary policy ushered that in. So we have that in the backdrop. We've got the Bitcoin space itself, there's less division, there's less drama. We had the whole Bitcoin cash fork, for those that know what that meant. There was there was some serious oh, yeah. drama, even amongst Bitcoiners. That doesn't exist anymore. There's way, way more information for people that are new to this space. There's so many on-ramps. There's it's so much easier now. Phenomenal so resources all, all over the place, right? The on-ramps themselves, like where to buy this thing, right, that... Have grown tremendously. Now you got PayPal, Cash App, Robinhood. There's just Swan, Swan Bitcoin, best place to buy it. 
No sponsors yet. We're looking to use Swan. I'm telling you, Swan Bitcoin is where it's at. Um, and there's just, there's so coupled with that, there's so much more liquidity, right? There's a growing derivatives market. Coins are getting locked Tesla up just proved escrow. that, actually. They, uh, they sold 10% of their, uh, their, uh, what they hold. And they, I don't remember what the total was at the time, but they bought it 1.5 billion. Their CFO wanted to dabble in selling it to see how liquid the market was. And Musk said, he tweeted publicly that, uh, Bitcoin passed the liquidity test for them. Yeah. Love it. That dude. Visionary Rockefeller. Of Dude, I day, think he'll be bigger than Rockefeller. Uh, the last thing I was going to say, we have a, a ripening lending and borrowing market that's growing before our eyes. With with real here's, interest Here's rates. the point. I'm ma- Real interest rates. We're just, if Preston Pish happens to ever listen to this, he's going to be like, wait, did these guys just rip off every single thing <laughs> I've ever said in one episode? <laughs> By the way, we got to plug it. If you are not subscribed to the We Study Billionaires, part of the Investors Podcast, Bitcoin Fundamentals with Preston Every Pish, Wednesday. it is, I think I can say, I think I can say it's our favorite yeah. Bitcoin I, podcast. I think Pish is my favorite parishioner of the Church of Bitcoin. Actually, I, I might even phrase him in status. He's a pope. He's my priest. He is, he's the pope. Um, yeah, Pish is amazing. I love the lens he comes with this from. It would be a, a dream. Let's dream him on this podcast one day. Preston, you heard it here first. We want you. Blue collar Bitcoin. Back to my point about the uh, macro backdrop. Here's a quote from Dan Held from this article I mentioned. He says, and this was written late 2020, he says, Bitcoin was made for this moment. And I think he could be right. I'm not willing to put my stamp of approval on his article. I think it was well done. I think Dan Held's a good resource. But he could be right. I mean, there's a lot of indicators that the canvas is ready to be painted with a giant Absolutely. B. And, you know, kind of like you enumerated this, the, the depth and breadth of this market with with the uh, the lending market that's developing, the the um, the exchange the exchange depth, that there is, you know, all of the, all of the, the futures and options markets there are in this thing right now. It is primed and ready to be the asset that we're all that we're all going to need to save this whole situation. Three years ago, four years ago, it wasn't there. It just got listed on CME in 2017. It it, it didn't have any of this kind of um, market reach that it has now. Yeah. And um and and just imagine where it's going to be in four years. I'm I'm fairly confident that with what we've got going on with with uh, lightning network combined with bitcoin and then some of the side chains and this thing could actually have the the gravity to pull everything in at this point i think it actually could i don't know if it will but i think it could this is another uh this is a tangent but i think it's worth going on um and we're on the dan held topic so i actually just pulled up a he had a tweet storm today and in it, he had this, this picture of these statements pitted against each other by the same institutions. Oh, I've seen that. Okay? I love it. Institutions that have flipped completely in four years or less, right? Bitcoin's real value could be zero, Morgan Stanley analyst says. Juxtaposed against, Morgan Stanley becomes the first big U.S. bank to offer its wealthy clients access to Bitcoin funds. Bitcoin is a fraud that will blow up, says J.P. Morgan boss. 
JP Morgan says investors could make Bitcoin 1% of portfolios. Goldman Sachs lists five reasons why Bitcoin is not an asset class nor a suitable investment. Juxtaposed against. Exclusive. Goldman Sachs restarts cryptocurrency desk amid Bitcoin boom. I mean, the list goes on here. I'm not going to read them all. But the uh, the coats are turning colors really quickly, and I think it could be indicative that these guys are strapping into the roller coaster, and it's uh, it's on its way up. Yeah, you know, I think they're coming to the realization that you can't ignore this thing anymore. I mean, you just can't. And it could actually jeopardize your business in the future to ignore this thing. That's the, I mean, none of these guys, I, I firmly believe none of these guys, especially the older boomer generation that is running the show at these places. I'm sure there's tons of intelligent analysts and people that are kind of been pestering them for years about this. But I think what they're coming to the realization of is we don't want to be blockbuster in a world of Netflix. We don't want to be, we don't want to be MoneyGram right yeah. now at all. Nobody wants to be them. <laughs> but uh, they're realizing that this thing is going to upend everything. And also they're in the back of their minds. I think what they're rolling around in their heads is when this CBDC central bank digital currency thing happens, it's going to kind of remove the reason to have banks altogether because the money's going to flow directly from the fed into your digital wallet at that point. So JP Morgan, Goldman, I mean, Goldman, the investment banks and the, that side of their business will be intact, obviously. But a lot of these banks that are retail, you know, retail facing, they're going to have a big problem. And it's funny to, to think about Blockbuster in those terms as well, because every time I see a Chase bank, I think Blockbuster because of the color scheme and also because they have a retail <laughs> location on every corner. In this, It's like the post office. Yeah, yeah. the brick and mortar is it's a just, joke. Like they, oh my gosh, I mean, they're, you can kind of see them yeah. kind of receding already. I've seen a few of them closed. And <sighs> I'm just thinking like, I wonder what kind of restaurant that one's going to be. If you, if you don't already own Bitcoin and you've never seen it in action, I think seeing it in action is what really, really ups your, your conviction. I mean, for me personally, having owned cryptocurrency for roughly four years, when I look at the legacy banking system, I, I'm in disbelief. I mean, what is, a, what is a fucking business day? We'll get this done in three to five business days? How about instantaneously with total trust? Have you tried I mean, to wire money lately? Uh, I haven't for a while, but I I think back on oh it. Oh my god! I mean, it's... like it's crazy trying to move not even that sums of money that Bitcoin laughs at. I mean, when you when you see a transaction move, and here's the cool thing, Josh, it blows your mind on both ends of the spectrum. So on one end of the spectrum, the that's and we're on is that I could send you. million, you would have settlement assurance, complete settlement assurance within 30 minutes. You'd see the transaction on the ledger pretty much instantaneously. We we could say you have complete settlement assurance in roughly 10 minutes, for simplicity's sake here. You would see the transaction immediately, and it would cost me today roughly 10 bucks to to give you 600, and we, we could trust, we could detest one another. We could hate each other to the core, totally distrust one another, and have 100% 100% confidence that that money is going to move every flawlessly. single time. Compare that to wiring money to somebody. You need to provide your their address, your address. It's going to take a long time. You're going to have to talk to a, it's when you when you so that's one end. Then to get to that blows your mind. Then you go to the micro payments end of the spectrum. All I can give you today is 1 cent. In Bitcoin I could give you a hundredth of a cent. 
I could I could stream you money like streaming a movie on Netflix because it's a native internet money. So there, there's this great. It's really cool actually to think about that. It's just on both ends of the size of transactions, this technology so outperforms the current system and has the or has the potential to to outperform the current system. It's it's just a hard technology to ignore. And here's another quick story along the lines of legacy banks. I firehouse gutters, my company, we run on the side. There was a not a ton of money, about $5,000 I needed to move from that bank, Chase, to my bank, which is a credit union. In order to do that, this is what I had to do to make that happen in a single day. I had to drive to the Chase bank. I had to walk up to a teller. I had to have a cashier's check made to me for the amount of $5,000, right? That took about 15 minutes in the bank. I had to pay them $8 for them to do that. For the privilege of handing me a piece of paper that says that I'm entitled to $5,000, I took that physically drove it at about 15 minutes away to my bank, presented this check to the cashier or whatever they call them there. And she made me go talk to the manager about it because it had happened so recently that they couldn't <laughs> trust it, even though it was signed by the, you know, the Chase Bank five, 10, 15 minutes ago. So I had to sit in that bank for about another 30 minutes and they had to call Chase to verify that this money was legitimate and it wasn't fake and all of this. And I'm sitting there the whole time just boiling inside like this is 1974 and this is insane this is absolutely in- it's a clown, clown show. show it was a <laughs> you could have done all of those things hung over in your king size bed pantsless with a cappuccino in your right hand on the bitcoin network 10 minutes on base layer 5 seconds on lightning crazy when you when you think about it it really is like I'm serious. I think this is apt. It's like you are the I don't even know what these people are called. You're operating a horse and buggy, whatever those people used to be called. Coach, You're the coachman. horse and buggy operator. Yeah, coachman. Thank you're you. welcome, Josh. Wow, you're so sophisticated. I'm you're the coachman. coachman, and beside you rolls up a motor vehicle with a internal combustion uh-huh. engine. You laugh at him. Like that's literally what it feels like to do what you did at Chase Bank when you know about a native internet protocol that's decentralized, open. That's actually an apt analogy to say because I recently read about a situation, that exact situation. This is a real story from back in probably the early 1900s when all of these roads were cobblestone. They had giant divots in them from the, the horses walking and the hooves digging into the road, dirt roads mostly with cobblestone. And people would break down all the time with automobiles because the wheels would break in the potholes and people would laugh like this is ridiculous. This is the future. You say, this is the future. Look at yourself. You're broken down in the road. You're having to, you know, replace a wheel because you busted it in a hoof mark in the, in the ground. But the fundamental thing that the coachman didn't realize while they were looking at this laughing and rolling on with their horse, pulling their buggy was that all of the infrastructure was about to change. These, these roads were going to be paved um, they were going to be smooth and everything was going to be different. It was, the problem was, is they couldn't frame it from their own perspective. Yeah. The coachman's dilemma. It's a great title. That's going to be our newest uh, book by Dan and Josh. We're going to nail it. Yeah. So here's where I want to move. Here's where I want to move to, if you don't mind. I'm the coachman here and I'm going to steer these horses this direction. <laughs> The question I think we should answer for the audience is if some people are going to know this already, but 
where are we in the current cycle to get back to the the whole cycle theme? So we've kind of established, we've established so far in a very roundabout way. We've established that cycles happen in Bitcoin. We've we've explained that we're in one right now. We then kind of backtracked and said it talked a little bit about why this thing has value in the first place. Now I think we should discuss so where are we in this current cycle? So these cycles um, on average about a year and a half long from the bottom of the bear rising up to the peak of the uh, bull market and which is so we're going to measure these things in terms of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's got 10 minute blocks. They average about these bull markets last about 75,000 blocks. And at the block height we're at, we're about halfway through in time terms. But in terms of price, I don't think that we are halfway there. I think we're probably much, much lower than that because these things, this thing does go very exponential towards the end of this curve. So I would say we're halfway through it about now and we are, we're staring at an exponential wall ahead of us. I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see Bitcoin take us out behind the shed, pull our pants down and just do terrible things. <laughs> terrible things to us and people watching if, you, if, if you're, you're a no-coiner. no-coiner well i mean if it, you're a no-coiner also can do, yeah. you know, things that are going to change your life as far as orgasm when it hits when it hits it could put you on the roof yeah, of that shed it's going to so and this is the time when most people are running this space and the people who you know the fawns the people who just don't understand what's going on here necessarily and they're going to be interested in the stuff that's going up 40 percent in a day the stuff that's just the cum rockets, you know, those are the things that these guys are looking at, the Doge coins and cum rockets. And man, do those things look good when they're going up 50% in a day and everyone's getting rich and Elon Musk is talking about Dogecoin. And uh, but we're gonna be here to help guide you into the right place. Trust me, you wanna just it's much better to get a couple hundred percent in a year and sleep well at night than to ride the cum rocket up and down that parabola. So <laughs> I've been down that for a while. The point you made that I I think is super important to emphasize is we're midway through the cycle from a time perspective. And by the way, we're we're transposing this current cycle on past cycles, so we realize it absolutely. Yeah, there's no could be there's different. no saying that's an absolute. But using correct using that hypothesis, we're saying. Just based on what it's done in the past, after these halving cycles that happen every four years, we're halfway way through from a time perspective. But in terms of price, if we're using that same launch pad, that same metric, the, the past cycles as a as a, a guiding tool, I I think you're right that we're nowhere near halfway to the blow off top price. Dan, what is and, what are your thoughts? Your personal thoughts on where this thing's going to peak. What do you, what do you think? Okay. I'm going to intro my statement or my answer to that question by telling you that I did some of my own analytics today. Um, kind of proud. I think you'll be, I think you'll be proud of me. I'm kind of, I'm jealous you didn't send them over. Yeah. Here's the analytics I did. So I pulled up a chart from the last bull cycle. Okay. It's actually a tweet that led me into the charts Looked it up. So to try to make this make sense, in the last bull run, so the 2017-2018 bull run that blew off just short of 20K, on the way up following the halving cycle, there were one, two, three, there were 
six corrections of over or 30% or more. There were six corrections. So there was a correction of 38%, another correction of 38%, a 33% correction, 38, 36, 29. So one of them was just below 30. So 30 or more for simplicity's sake. Okay, that now flipping over to this cycle. Currently, the way you read the whichever way you read the chart, we're in the, we're in our third. I call it third. Some people might call it fourth correction. They've ranged between twenty and just into the low thirties percents. Here's where this gets interesting, though. So I'm suggesting so far we're we're our third or fourth correction. In the last cycle, we did six corrections before we got to that blue off top, blow off top, and this is mm-hmm. looking at weekly charts. Here's what's nuts. The sixth correction in the last cycle was below $8,000. So let that sink in. So we blew off at 20K. The last quote-unquote correction was at 8K, and it was the sixth correction. We're at our third correction, and we're at 55K. That's insane to think about. If you've been in Bitcoin, what I just said made sense. If you're not, you're probably lost. The point is... Past experience tells us that we are nowhere close to that blow-off top. So here's here roundabout way of answering your question. I am not going to go on firm record here, but I would be utterly astonished if we don't hit $100,000 this year. I would be extremely surprised. As would I. Yeah. So just thinking about what you just said... What I'm thinking, I think what a lot of people would help them understand where we stand at the moment would be kind of thinking where we draw a parallel between the numbers in 2017 and the numbers today. And just in my own mind, what I'm thinking based on what you just said is if we were in 2017 right now, we're probably looking at a price of between two and $4,000 at the moment is my, is my rough guess if we were to compare the two cycles together. What are your thoughts on that? I yeah, I think that was helpful. What you basically, I'm going to say what you just said in a different way. If you were lost on my my last description, what I was saying was many corrections happen in a cycle. We've had half as many this cycle as as the last cycle, and the last correction, the final correction before the blow off top in the last cycle was forty percent of the of the eventual value. Yeah. Right. So even if we it makes total Does that make sense. sense the way I'm saying that? Even even if we were at even so we're, if we were so at the, we're, right now we're sitting say we're sitting on the final correction. We're looking at a potential 60% increase from this moment, which would bring us well over $100,000. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 here's the scary thing if you're saying well, oh, that's bullshit, you're just how do you know it's going to behave the same? How do you know it's going to behave the same as the last cycles? Well, this would take a little while for me to substantiate, but the way these charts look are strikingly similar to the last couple of cycles. It's playing out. The playbook is being executed perfectly in this cycle compared to the, the previous cycles. If anything, it's more aggressive. Why, it's more bullish. Why, why do we think that cycles. is? I, I mean, why would it do the same thing over and over and over again? It's almost like it's programmed. You know, it's, it's prog- almost. It almost yeah. seems like that. It's almost like it's. Oh yeah. It's it's quite nuts. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thought to explore. I think if Plan B's stock to flow model is accurate, and people are like, "How could this dude be accurate?" I think maybe part of the reason it it has the potential to be accurate is he's predicting something that's totally predictable. 
No other stock to flow model is completely predictable. This one is. And so it has, the, it has the potential, at least in my mind, to be modeled out more accurately than other asset classes. So right now, the last number I heard was 60,000 people a day are being onboarded onto Bitcoin. So we're seeing this network effect that is just boiling over at the moment. So the demand side is increasing exponentially, while at the same time, the amount of supply going into this market is getting halved every four years. So we're looking at these two, it's like an immovable object and an unstoppable force meeting. And we're actually going to find out what happens when those kinds of things happen here is what I think is going to happen. It's just going to be crazy. If you've got a seat at the table, it's going to be fun to watch dinner be served. If you're starving looking through the window, it's going to be super uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I kind of think that's a very formal way to put it, but I, I kind of envision more like a giant trough that is just about to be the slop is coming, and these piggies are going to get fed. They're going to get real fat. We're going to eat. We're going to eat hard. Yep. Here's where I think we should end this episode, Josh. We've talked about a lot of things, but we need to get to, we need to get to some practical application for a new listener that doesn't own any Bitcoin that's sitting here going, "What in the flip?" am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to buy this? What should my strategy be for buying this? I've got hardcore FOMO. I'm yep. afraid of missing I hear out. You. I've been there. Fear of missing out. What, what's, what's some uh, practical application we can give yeah. briefly? Obviously we'll do full episodes on this in the future, but brand new. What do you do? How do you approach this? If you, if you trust the sage advice of these two blue collar workers, what do we advise? I think the most rational way to take to take a bite out of this thing is take an amount of money that you're comfortable with that you feel like if this amount of money goes gets cut by 50%, I'm comfortable sitting on that for 2 years. Take that amount of money. Don't take more than that because you'll panic if you watch this thing drop 40-50% overnight, which has happened. Take that amount of money, point. cut it in half. Buy 50% of it right away. Just do a market buy at whatever the price is that day you, you decide to do this. Take the other half of that money, take it over to Swan is a good place. Cash App is also a good place for DCA. And when I say DCA, it means dollar cost averaging. So, and then pick an amount of time. Say I wouldn't go too long because of the kind of cycle we're in right now. I'd probably want my exposure relatively soon, but maybe say a month or two months. Dan, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think I've told people before, two months, but it depends on how much money you have, how uncomfortable you are parting with it, and yeah, what your what your uh, aptitude is for risk exactly. and how much patience. So then what I would do is a daily buy, split that money into 60 portions or 30 portions, however you feel comfortable, and do a daily buy on Swan or on Cash App every single day for uh, a month or two. And then you... Uh, then. Uh, just to top it off, go get yourself uh, a, a hardware wallet, at minimum a Trezor, one. If you want to go really crazy, try a cold card. But uh, you definitely should hold it on a hardware wallet uh, so you have complete control over it. That's my recommendation. Completely agree with everything you just said. Uh, the one thing I would back off on is obviously we're, we want people to cold store their Bitcoin eventually. But if that's if that's going to be a intimidation factor that's going to keep you out of this space, just buy. 
just find a way to get some and you can deal Agreed. with storing it Agreed. later. Just real quick, I want to make sure I, I spell this out explicitly. Don't use Robinhood. Robinhood does not allow you to withdraw your Bitcoin. So use Coinbase, Swan, Cash App, all of those places will let you withdraw it. Don't use a place that won't let you take it. Great addition for a brand new person. You want to have the ability to possess the underlying asset. We'll explain more of that later if you don't know what that means. Good point, Josh. Don't buy from Robinhood. I, I love what you laid out. If you want to enter, pick a number, a number you're comfortable with. I've heard you say this before. Invest as much as you understand. So if you understand yes. very little, invest very little. And as your understanding grows, invest more. We're not suggesting you level into this overnight. Learn. Do your own research. Yes. Do your own study. But if you decide that you want to enter the space, I love your prescription there. Half in at once, half in over a period of time. Would you agree that your advice would change if we weren't in a bull cycle? Yeah, if I would you agree with that? That's a bull cycle tactic. If we were in the bear or the or the level off, I would just say, personally, the Dan suggestion would be That's dollar exactly cost what average I was gonna in. Say. Yep, dollar cost in. And uh, on the other side, that's uh, when you decide that you, if you decided that you're going to try to play the game and call the top, which I wouldn't recommend either. I would just, I would just run with this thing, hold it. But there's not really a great way to sell at the top because nobody knows. So again, if you decided to try that, I would maybe sell 50% of what you decide you want to offload and then sell it like dollar cost average offload it for the, the rest of that exposure. That's my recommendation. I feel strongly that if you don't have a large position, you should not sell any, even in a, if, even in a bear market. I mean, if you if you if ninety eight percent of your net worth is in Bitcoin and you're trying to take some risk off the table, sure, maybe sell some at the top. But if you don't have a position, ride this thing up, ride it down, and just buy more when it dips. I personally do not recommend selling this on the way down and trying to time this market. I think I think statistically you will end up with less Bitcoin if you try to time this market. That I agree with 100%. Um, I'm not advocating for selling it either, um, especially not if it's a small portion of your portfolio. But uh, it's just a, you know, just a thought in case you want to take some risk off, which is not a, not a bad thing. With regard to that, I like... So Willie Wu is probably the person I... The trader... He's more of a long-term trader, but he's the trader that I trust the most. Um, both both Josh and I subscribe to his newsletter. It's on Substack. Great newsletter if you're wanting on-chain analytics showing price action. I think I remember him saying something to the effect of, if you exit at the very top, you flat out got lucky. Because any good trader would wait for bold, blatant confirmation that we're in the bear market. So translation for noobs, that means the chances you're going to be able to time when we're at the top are close to zero. Yep. Don't listen to the people that got, you know, they'll tell you they did it every single time. They're lying. They got lucky. That's it. Most likely they're lying. Dan, what do you think, man? Bitcoin's, Bitcoin cycle. We are, what are we at? 55 today. What was your prediction? Come back. I, I'm I'm gonna cower and not give an actual prediction, but I'm gonna force Ooh. you to go on record. Are you Are you asking me to call the top here? Call the top. I'm a pretty I'm a pretty firm believer that uh, Plan B is onto something here, and so okay, safe. And, but the That's problem is, he's got two different models. One of them predicts about 100, and one of them predicts about 288. So I'm gonna play the safe card, and I'm gonna split the difference and call it 
I'm going to say 200. I'm going to say 200. Okay. And I'm going to I'm going to chicken out and just say somewhere between 100,000 <laughs> and a million. Oh, I love that prediction. <laughs> Bold. If I were if I if I were forced to bet, I think we're going to surpass the 288. If I had to if I had to pick a side of that number, I would go on the upside of that. It might be very quickly though, and it might be very short-lived, but I think it I think it could happen. By the way, we are only talking about the 2020-2021 bull cycle. <laughs> Just you wait till 2024-2025. Shit could get real crazy. And by the way, if his uh, S2X model, which is the one that calls for the higher number, does prove to be right, in that cycle, the next cycle, that predicts an average price of $1 million. Josh, we... Throughout the hook at the start of the episode, we sunk it in the cheek of the fish. And I think with you saying one, the word one million, I think the fish is officially reeled into the boat. Get the net. And I say we end the episode right there. Get the net out there. Pull that fish in. Thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have time, leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.